our middle kid, Noah, went off on residential uh, for the week. So it was a slightly funny week at home. It felt like the house was a little bit empty. It's always a little bit quieter when you run down. It's sort of quite nice sometimes, but it also felt a little bit strange having this gap in our sort of family unit. But because he was going off on residential with all his year group, we had the inevitable um, usual sort of parent-child pep talk, should we say, you know, you know the one, you know the one, yeah? Um, the kind of, you know, here's your change of clothes, make sure you put your wet things in a bag, please change your clothes, please brush your teeth. Um, but also, you know, that sense of remember, you belong to us, remember you're loved, remember you're cherished, we might not be there to tuck you in at night, but remember, we love you. Um, and you kind of, you're in that place where I've been watching the weather reports, he was down in Mold, they had a yellow weather warning down there in Wales, um, you know, you're thinking, are they going to be alright? And you kind of, you know they are, but... You know, you're still in that place of how, how will they get on? And because he's a Clifton Brown, he's not going to be at all competitive, obviously, is he? You know, he's going to maybe be a little bit vulnerable. Now, I know because of who he is that he, there are certain things he's going to absolutely flourish in in that, in that setting. And, um, and inevitably, he did. And it was great having him come back and, and hearing his stories of how he'd, um, he'd got this little dorm room. He'd got them playing card games every night. He'd taken a pack of cards. He'd taught them all these games. And, and you know, he'd, he'd shared his sweets and those sorts of things. And you think, oh, that's great. And my friend who works there in the school is like, do you know, he's always just such a credit to you. They're funny words, those, aren't they? A credit to you. Noah said to me, isn't that kind of boasting, Mum? <laughs> and I'm like, I love boasting about you, actually. It's great, isn't it? When we can boast about our kids and about the, the things... That, and like, don't get me wrong. Of course, it's not perfect. <laughs> we had our little moment before leaving home this morning. I won't share that one. Um, but, do you know, there's something about... He's represented our family, our values, in that place this week. And it's great when we know that he's taken something of our heart, of the things we've sown into him, and that's part of who he is. He's, got, he's also really, really funny. I don't know where that comes from, but he's a real entertainer, a real joker. It's definitely not from me. But he has gone out and he's, he's done that. He's represented us really well. And do you know our, where we come to in our letter? Well, kind of the whole of this letter, really, from Paul to the Philippian church is... Um, a bit of his kind of pep talk to them, really. Uh, we've, we've covered so far his joy in the church um, over this particular church that he planted um, probably about 11 years before this point where he's writing this. We know as well that he's stuck in prison in, um, we think, probably Rome. Um, and so far in the last few weeks, we've, as we've studied these kind of statements, which I think Matt summed up as createments, statements that should make a change in us, create some kind of response, We've heard about how he's been so joyful that he who began, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it to completion. He's shown his own passionate confidence in Christ. He's reiterated that again. This is our family name. This is who we are. We've got a confidence in Christ. He's talked about what's happened to me, that even this imprisonment is advancing the gospel. And he's talked about how for him to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so here he's instructing and reminding the Philippians, how they need to continue to live out their new identity, their new identity as children of God, as part of that family of God, the church. Just as I was like, like Noah, you're our family representative. And I didn't actually use that kind of language, but that's what's implied, isn't it? And that's what Paul's doing here for us. How we behave speaks. It's a sign to the world. So let's have a read of Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now the phrase we're particularly focusing on is this one at the beginning. It's summed up slightly differently in this version, only very slightly differently. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only. He's really reiterating here um, this importance of this to us. I don't know whether you all know the movie Saving Private Ryan or ever saw that. It was a World War II film um, about a troop of men whose mission wasn't actually about um, continuing the battle against the Nazis, but their mission was to rescue a guy, Private Ryan. And um, so you see them going through all the same scenarios of living in this world, but their mission is to, to rescue this man who's been, been called home. He's the, the last remaining son um, of this family where all the other sons have been lost, have been killed in this war. And so they, the, the military say, we, we, want, we want him home. We've got to get him back home. And these men, um, this troop, pay the ultimate sacrifice. Um, they, many of them lose their life in order to try and rescue this man and to get him home. That's their mission. And at the end of the movie, there's this really moving clip where you see him standing at um, the famous kind of white gravestones, the white crosses, and he's looking at one, he's standing before one of these particular, um, one of the men from the troops' grave. And he turns to his wife and he says, have I been a good man? Was, was my life worth their sacrifice? Have I lived a good life? Has it been good enough for what they did for me? I mean, that's quite a, a weight to carry, isn't it? That those people gave their lives just to save him, literally just to bring him home. When they found him, and that, well, he's like, well, why me? Why have I been singled out? It's quite a lot to live under, isn't it? And I think sometimes this conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, it carries some of that weight, doesn't it? It can feel a little bit intimidating like whoa hang on that that kind of weights me down that weighs me down a bit how can I ever do that and the truth is the reality is that absolutely none of us will ever be able to balance those scales we'll never really be able to be counted worthy of the gospel will we that's the beauty of the gospel Christ died for me in my mess he's not asking me to balance those scales I can't we couldn't do it that's why we needed Christ and Paul passionately believes this. He's not trying to make us afraid that we're going to lose our salvation. He's, neither is he trying to encourage the Philippians that suddenly now they need to start trying really, really hard to be worthy, to earn that. Um, so, you know, he's absolutely convinced of this. He calls them partakers with me in grace, partners in the gospel. So he's not trying to pressure us. He's not trying to pressure us, but he is calling us to make the most of our lives because of what Jesus has done. To make the most of them. To celebrate what he's achieved for us. So, how do we live a worthy life? I think he's talking here specifically about knowing our identity. We need to understand our new identity. The... Um, the word for citizens, sorry, the word for conduct, conduct yourselves, 
is actually um, a word for living as citizens. Okay, so Paul's making a play on their dual citizenship. So the Philippians were um, over there. You can see them sort of in the middle of the map, Philippi. It's a long, long way from Rome over here. And Philipp the Philippians, Philippi was an outpost. It was a Roman colony set in the middle of what is now modern-day Greece. And it was an outpost of the empire. And their in the intention really was that they would bring Roman rule to that area. So... Um, their colonial status meant that they, all the people in Philippi were reckoned as Roman citizens and they had all the privileges, the responsibilities and the customs. They were really proud of their status as Romans. Okay? They would have dressed like Romans, they spoke Roman, um, they had all the laws, the legal system and things like that that, that Rome had. And that would have really stood out in Greece. You know, I don't know if you're like me and you're really, really poor. I'm really poor at languages. When I go abroad, I cannot get by in another language. I'm so thankful when someone speaks English. I'm like, right, now we can communicate. Well, these guys weren't trying to speak Greek. They were, bring, they were being Romans. They were being Romans there in Greece. They were trying to bring all of what that meant. They were making that strange land feel more like home, really, while they were waiting for the rest of kind of the Roman Empire to catch up, to start to change. They were expecting that change would come in Greece, that it would become more like Rome there. Um, and one commentator says, as Philippi was a colony of Rome in Greece, Macedonia, so the church was a colony of heaven at Philippi. So Paul's using this language, because they really understood that sense of being citizens of somewhere else in a foreign land. He's using that to really try and help them to understand that, that we are citizens, our identities change. We're citizens of heaven on earth. This is our foreign land. The church is an outpost of God's empire, a community of people whose passport is stamped heaven, but who continue to live in a foreign land, earth, with the aim of making that foreign land more like home. So we've got a new identity, a new nature, a new law of grace. We've got new relationships, a new code of conduct, and we need to live that. So when he says conduct yourself, he's saying live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in that way on earth. Now, I lived in um, the US when I was a teenager. My dad was posted out there. So my dad was in the Navy and he was posted to um, a place called Norfolk in Virginia, where there was a bit, there's a great big military base. It's very close to Virginia Beach, which was sadly in the news in the last fortnight, actually, um, for a um, tragic um, shooting that went on there. But it, we lived there for about 18 months, and um, I was over here in boarding school, but every holiday would go out there. And um, one of the things that we had, one of the privileges that we enjoyed, because my dad's um, status as a military person, was that we could go onto the naval base, onto the great big naval base there in America and enjoy all of the, the um, privileges of that. Now, they really take their military status very seriously because, as we know, American, there are American military bases all over the world. There's a few in Britain, they're all over the place. And they serve as a place where they can come together, they can be trained, they can be equipped, they can look after one another. Sometimes there's medical care. I myself had to, um, enjoyed amazing medical treatment while I was out there because of that status that we had as the military. We'd go to a, the commissary uh, where we had like tax-exempt um, food we could go and buy. And there was a brilliant bowling alley. I hung out there quite a lot. Very cheap bowling alley. So it's why I beat my husband the first time we ever played bowl went bowling. <laughs> so yeah, we really made the most of it. And whenever we travelled in the States as well, I remember being a really, really wet day, much like the ones we've had this week, being on the opposite coast of the States. And 
there was just nothing to do because it was so, so wet. So we went and found the local military base and we could just show our pass and go on in and, um, and enjoy some more bowling. <laughs> My brothers and I really enjoyed that. And the reality is that our citizenship affords us that as well. Okay, we are the church. We get to come together and enjoy what it is. Of, we're meant to come and enjoy heaven together. Our status as heaven together. Now, our citizenship is a gift. We made the most of that. We kind of exploited, really, that privilege we had for that time out there. It's not one I've ever had in the UK, but Americans take this seriously. But do we do that as the church? Do we enjoy our citizenship together? Do we understand that we've got a home in heaven together? Are we enjoying that now? And that's what he's encouraging us to do. And I think he then, the rest of this passage really goes on to explore how do citizens of heaven live? I don't know if you can read that. How do we live on earth? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So he's saying, citizens of heaven, you have to stand firm together. Okay? Standing firm on our own is pretty scary. I mean, it's great to hear Sarah stand and say, look, I'm a chaplain in a school. And that can feel quite intimidating. She's got that role of being a chaplain at school, but she was sharing about the partnership. She had other Christians gathering with her this week to do some of that work together, and we're called to do it together. There's really plural language in here, okay? One commentator I read actually said that our English language, we use the word you just singularly, well, not in Liverpool, do we? I keep pulling my, I have been pulling my daughter up when she goes, are you's ready yet? And I'm like, we don't talk like that. No, actually, this commentator saying she's right. She's right. The Greek does do that, actually. So we need to reread this slightly, okay? So whether I come and see yous or only hear about yous in my absence, I will know that yous stand together in the one spirit. Are you cringing? The English teacher in me is cringing too, Deb. It's, um, it goes against everything we've been taught, Deb. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose yous. So this changes our thinking, doesn't it? When one suffers, when one is opposed, we all do. That's the language he wants us to get. When somebody is attacking citizens of heaven, they're attacking everybody. Okay, use. We've got to actually change it. And I found that was so helpful when I, when I understood that. This is really plural language. This is a corporate message to us. It's pretty intimidating to think, I've got to stand firm on my own. It's hard, isn't it? He goes on using more military language for us here, which is really, really helpful. Again, a lot of the um, Philippians would have been military. Um, many of them were soldiers who had, who had been settled in Philippi, so they'd really get um, military language. He introduces, when he talks about standing together with, in one, with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, the language that he's using very deliberately and intentionally is quite military. And he gives us this image of, this is a phalanx, it's called. Um, Nicky Gumbel describes it like this, a formidable military device, a core of highly disciplined, heavily armed infantry. So they are highly disciplined on their own as well, but it's together, isn't it? A corps of highly disciplined, heavily armed infantry stood shoulder to shoulder in files, normally eight men deep, as long as they did not break rank. They were virtually invincible and struck terror into their enemies. 
So standing firm means to show unflinching courage, to not give any ground at all, to refuse to leave our post. If one of those had, you know, kind of put their shields down and, and not bothered, they would have made everybody vulnerable, wouldn't they? Okay. And, um, do you know, we know that actually the world, well, the scripture's very, very clear, living as citizens of heaven on this earth, we are being foreigners in this place, aren't we? And the scripture tells us your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. We don't have to go far to feel like that's happening, do we? Resist him, standing firm in your faith. Thank you. We're told to put on our full armour, the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, which it will, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. But we don't stand alone, do we? Our steadfastness is actually enabled through our unity. And this phalanx is a reflection of the unity that we should know in the church. The gospel brings us this unity. The gospel gives us that common identity. Okay? These guys would have been conscripted from all over the world. They probably previously, many of them were enemies, you know, and many of these military that were recruited, they would have been now fighting shoulder to shoulder, standing shoulder to shoulder, people they used to be fighting against. They were now united in this Roman Empire. And alone they were vulnerable, but together, with that unity of purpose, that unity of relationship, that unity of power, they were strong. And that unity for us in the church is come, has come from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The early Philippi church wasn't just military people. I know I've mentioned them, but it was actually an incredibly mixed demographic. We know of a lady called Lydia, who, was, um, who actually in her household became Christian. She was a um, wealthy trader, person of influence. The next convert was a young girl, a slave girl, who was filled with an evil spirit. She was saved and added to the church. A slave girl, you've got the wealthy, you've got the slave girl. You know, in our society, we put them in this sort of hierarchy, don't we? They were in that early church together. And then we've got the jailer um, who was miraculously saved after, after Paul was miraculously rescued from jail. We've got these people coming together, these new believers, incredibly different, who would probably have never associated with one another previously, now are one. They are one together. The Holy Spirit has incorporated them into the same church. He has regenerated all of them into a new life in Jesus. It's his work. And he now lives in each of them with his divine power. And, do you know, we live in a really individualistic society, don't we? We struggle with this idea of that corporateness, that corporate identity, do you know? We really struggle with that. It's all about what's right for me, my space, my time, my choice. But the kingdom of God's the opposite. God himself exists in perfect unity in the Trinity, within the community of the Trinity. And we're saved into a community of believers, the church, the family of God. You know, God called a people when he called Abraham. He didn't just call the man. When God led Moses out of Egypt, he led the people. Moses was under his authority to lead the people of God. It wasn't just about Moses getting through and getting to safety. It was all of them together. And we need to change our thinking. You know, why is that important? Because in the corporate, there's something so, so significant about our togetherness, church. That's when we demonstrate God, isn't it? That unity, our unity. Jesus prayed in the garden about our unity, that we would be one, as he and the Father are one. And we see it in Acts too, when Peter, and the, when, the, when the Holy Spirit comes on these terrified 
confused disciples, Peter stands with the 11. That's the language that's used. These guys used to be a bit like, hey, Jesus, who's going to sit on your right hand? Am I the best? Am I greater than him? Am I going to be here? Is who's going to be on the right and who's on the left? They were squabbling over. Who do you love more, essentially? They were competitors, really. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit who unites them to become a band of brothers. And there's that power in the corporate. There's the power of our corporate prayer, even, guys. We're the people of heaven. We talk to God together. It was when the apostles gathered and prayed together for people, that people were released from prison. You know, Peter's miraculously released because the apostles gathered. Okay, when they, there's power. And when two or more are gathered, there I am with them, the Bible says as well. There's power in our prayers together, in our unity together. So we need to uphold and stand on truths of the kingdom of heaven together. Do you know, I need your fellowship. I need your example. I need your testimonies. They build me up. I need you coming alongside me when I'm at my best, when I'm at my worst. Especially need you when I'm at my weakest and at my worst. Because the battle is long and it's tiring, isn't it? And we can get so discouraged, can't we? We need one another. We together make up the temple of God. Ephesians 2 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too, yous too, actually. No, come on. Tamika, help me out here. How should I say it? In him yous too. Is that all right? Yeah? In him yous too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives, it's you together. Oh, darling, we like to think of, I've got Jesus in me, and it's true, but together we become the holy temple. That's the language, where he lives by his spirit. So we've got to, we've got to fight for our unity, people. The next bit of the letter, he's going to go on in the next few weeks. We're going to look a bit more about what this unity looks like, the kind of things that oppose that, some of the pitfalls. You know, divide and conquer has definitely been historically one of the most effective military methods. Divide and conquer. It happens all the time because it's in us, isn't it, to be individualistic. In my home, it's a challenge. It's a challenge all the time with our kids. It's a challenge all the time in our society, isn't it? That individualism, it's like, why should I forgive them? They did it to me first, that kind of thing. You know, it gets into our church. It was there in Philippi. You know, we learn later in the letter that there's two sisters, two people who used to be together on this mission who are now squabbling. And he wants them to agree in the Lord. And it's really tempting, isn't it, to say, well, I just want to focus on my faith going to work out my relationship with God. That's happening in our society more and more, isn't it? It's tempting to say, do you know what? It's hard work in the church because they're all just hypocritical. I'd rather not do it with them, you know? Actually, it's kind of easy. I'm just going to, I like Jesus, but I can't be doing with Christians. We hear that, don't you? Yeah? I think I'll just leave the church. I'm just going to wait for Christ to return and then I'll be with him in heaven. I'm going to do heaven. But the thing is, those people are going to be in heaven too. Now, okay, granted, <laughs> thankfully, he will have made us like him then. But he's asking us to love each other now. Yeah? He's asking us to work that out. He says, the world will know you by how you love one another. So am I willing to put aside my prejudice? Am I willing to take the log out of my own eye before I deal with the speck in someone else's? Am I willing to stand together, to get up beside you, are we really willing to invite that kind of accountability into our lives? You know, 
It isn't just that we stand together in prayer. We need to stand together as well and be willing to let someone come in and say, hey, how are you walking? How are you running? Are you, are you fit? Are you letting the, the hole down? Are you letting us down? How are you doing? Let's pray. Let's pray about this. Are we willing to be that kind of vulnerable people? To, li- to really live a life worthy of the gospel? We need to do that. We need to grow more like Jesus to stay this course, don't we? And I know it's so tempting to become really independent, but life often brings that challenge to us. I know for me, I couldn't have got through the, some, many of the different things that we've gone through in our story without the church, genuinely. And I remember when Chris was admitted to hospital, um, when Jesse was eight months old, and I remember saying to my mum, no, 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 it's all right, don't worry, don't bother coming, we'll be all right, we'll be all right. 24 hours later, Mom, get out of pain now, I need you. Because you know what? We need one another. Now, it was hard. It was hard. I had the love of the church. They were amazing, rallying around. But Jessie needed someone consistent. She was being passed around, these wonderful, faithful, loving people in the church. She needed some consistency, and so my mum came to be that. But the church loved us in such practical ways. And I needed to ask them to. And they rose up. And, you know, they're still doing it. We still get people coming saying, how is it going? We're still praying for you. People all over the world. People the faithful global church supporting us. It's beautiful. I can feel a little bit like, well, oh, it's all right. It's all right. You focus your attention on someone else. No, it's beautiful. That coming together. We can do that for one another. There's so many stories and examples of it in this place, in this room. It's how you guys love one another. Worship together battle together in prayer, stand side by side together. And what are we standing side by side for? We strive together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, he uses another a um, little bit of language of athletics. Okay, um, now this first top photo, I don't know if you can see it, but actually there's uh, three kind of canoes there. This was Friday night. This was our youth group outing on Friday night. And um, it was great fun to see our young people. We ended up with 13 in all because some of the kids brought friends along. It was absolutely brilliant. We've got Deb and James and Phil and Sarah in there as well. And um, oh, it was just hilarious to watch. I had so much fun watching. They were gone. They, were sh- they shut off though. They went all the way down the Albert Dock and back and they had to work together. They had to figure it out, didn't you, Deb? Didn't you? Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> it's not a team effort. Sorry, it's not a team effort. It is a team effort. It was a team effort, not a solo one. And do you know, it was hilarious. Joe, uh, Joe um, Crispin was, uh, was getting like, Jesse, get your oar back in the water. <laughs> like, keep going. There was no passengers. There were no passengers. And that's the same language that he's using, striving together. Okay, for the church, we all need to play our part. There's no passengers here at church. That's the language we've got here. This outpost of heaven is to be a battleship, not a cruise liner. Yeah? We've heard Jim speak on this a few weeks back, didn't we, on this unity, on that being together, each person playing their part. When Jim Partridge was here, you can have a listen to that. We've all got a part in which we need to play and we need to excel in it. It says each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Do you know we're not all the same, thank goodness? Yeah? Isn't that great that we're not all the same? We all need one another. We're not all evangelists and teachers, and we're not all able to cater without even thinking about it for 30 people like Trish does. Um, We're not all um, built the same. 
And that's beautiful, it's brilliant when we actually come together and use those things for one another. We don't elevate calling either. There's this sense sometimes we're waiting to be called, we have to be singled out for this thing. There's no sitting around and waiting when there's, a, you know, the end of Albert Duck to be got to. I'm not, I'm going to wait till someone else. No, you just, they got it, they got involved, they just got on with it. Do you know our society, our politicians, look at them turning around and stuff. So if that had been them on the water. Like, just picture that. I think, you know, where, where are we going? That's what our politics has been like, hasn't it, for the last little while. How are we going to get, we haven't got a common destination at the moment. So that's why they're going around in circles. Until they figure out a common destination, it will keep being that horrendous mess. You know? As citizens of heaven, we've got responsibilities as well as privileges. And we read a lot about the 12 disciples and then Peter and Paul's missionary journeys, but Jesus sent them out in pairs. He sent 72 out. We didn't, don't necessarily learn their names, but they were sent out as well. Okay? Um, there's lots of ways that we can come together. And whilst we're, pra- we're physically alone sometimes, we're never alone alone, are we? Because we've got one another. So we talked about life groups this morning and how it's really important to get into those. So you can pray for one another. You can encourage one another. I know we've got Kathy going away on one of her holidays soon. Um, and there's already sharing going on about praying for that, about partnering with her, about keeping in touch with her. There's ways to do that, to support one another. We have so much technology. is wonderful, isn't it? you know, um, where we can keep in touch with one another. But we've got so many different ways that we can treasure our faith and, send and bring it to the world. The beautiful gospel of grace. It's one for us through Jesus. We've got this certain hope. We have a certain hope. We know where we're going. We've got a firm foundation in a confused world. Do you know, we don't need to wait for our job or our circumstance or our location to change, guys. Where God has placed you where he, that's where he sent you, and that's where he'll equip you. So that's our mission field. That's where he wants us to live a worthy life. That's where he wants us to bring the kingdom. Okay? So if it's in your home, be like Susanna Wesley, famous for raising her 19 kids and just praying every day, her desire that she would light a fire in them that would affect the London and the UK and the whole world, and it certainly did, didn't it? Yeah, she used, she didn't, feel confined by that. That was like, fine, then I'm going to get on with it where I am. Okay, we can do that too. So don't underestimate your gift, guys. Yeah, whatever it is, if it's ironing, iron for the kingdom. We've got someone cares. We've got basics. We've got the love for one another. Barbara's taken in so many people's washing from here. Like she has done ironing through tough seasons for many of us. That is not to be underestimated. Yeah, and one of my best friends in Leeds, she writes, she has a ministry of cards. She writes me these amazing cards. She literally designs them herself. And so every one is personal and unique to me. And it's so much of an encouragement to me. Okay, don't put limits on what you can do. Do what he's asked you to do. Use the gifts he's given you. Okay, she, she cheerleads me and points me back to Jesus when I need it. And it's amazing. I know I'm not alone in that. Many people treasure Joe's cards, don't they, Jeff? Okay, so we're striving together. And we have no fear. We're told to have no fear of opposition. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Not frightened in anything by your opponents. So that's the last way that citizens of heaven live. Now, why have I got Jürgen Klopp on here? There's, there was a headline in the Times back in, um, it was an article in the Times at the beginning of June, saying, why Jürgen Klopp keeps smiling through triumph and disaster. He's kind of... Yeah. Say that again? That's right. He says, there's nothing 
so important to me that I cannot bear to lose it. And that is why I have no reason to fear. But the most important point is that this lust for life is connected to my faith. I am a Christian, and so I see life as a gift that should be enjoyed sensibly. I think the word sensibly is wrong, <laughs> personally. I, I think, and I'm not going to comment on how he lives his life, because I don't know him. But, it, but let's take, he says, I, I, there's, I have nothing that I cannot bear to lose. It's like, like Paul last week, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We're not to be frightened in any way. And it's more than just a, a logo on a T-shirt. Like, that was really common. I don't know if they, they are around anymore, No Fear, but certainly when I was a kid, a teenager, that was like, everyone was like, I wear my No Fear T-shirt and shows that I climb mountains. Yeah. You know? And it's more than just a fixed Christian grin. We all know those people. Yeah, yeah, just keep smiling. It's deeper than that, isn't it? It's a way of life. You know, my neighbours have commented on you guys coming into our house. They've said before, there's something about the people that come and go from your house. They all seem to be joyful. <laughs> they know that it's not because you guys have it easy. They know that. They know that. Yeah? Because we've been honest with them. We've talked with them at times about some of the things that, you know, we've, they've blessed them. They've wept with us over some of the things that we've endured as a people, as a family. But there's something, isn't there, in that it's not a fake, fixed grin. Citizens of heaven know where we're going. We have a certain hope, don't we? You know, these residentials that kids go on, they're like a manufactured opportunity, aren't they? To teach them resilience, yeah? To, to develop interdependence and team building. But do you know what, church? Christians, we don't need to manufacture opposition, do we? It's just going to come. If we really live out our identity as strangers in this place, if we live with the language of heaven on our lips, with the conduct of heaven in our behaviours, then it will actually challenge the world around us. And so they will come up against us saying, what? Why, why do you do that? Why would you fill your home with a load of people on an evening when you could be watching Netflix? Why would you um, give that away when you could have bought this or that instead? Why would you make that sacrifice? Why would you spend your holiday going somewhere where you're not very welcome, maybe, um, in the, the normal society? That'd be a fair way of putting it. Yeah. You know? But how do we do that as the people of God? Why do we... Why can we be fearless? And I, gosh, this is such a challenge, isn't it? I, I mean, it's coming off my lips. Like, yeah, let's be fearless, but I know I don't always live like it. I really lack that courage at times, you know? But why? We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I have a new identity. God has given us, us, use a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God himself has come to be with us, to enable us to do that. You know, Joshua, we've, I've studied that quite a bit this year with my BSF group. And um, when we shared at the end of the year, we've done actually all of, like, tons of the Old Testament. But almost all of us came back to that famous quote um, when, when God said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. For I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That matters as much today. That scripture, I think, is probably on more Christians' walls than almost any other. Because it matters that God is with us. You know, our Ollie that came and said, if God's with me even in the dark, it's that being with, he enables, he strengthens us, doesn't he? But as citizens of heaven as well, we're not alone. As I said before, attack on one is an attack on all. 
Do you know, it's important that we pray with the saints. And I am... Um, just as I was preparing, I was, I was reading last week in my Open Doors prayer journal and some of the stories are from around the world of our persecuted Christians and they're literally kicked out of their homes, their communities, their families, they're rejected. They're reject- they know what it really feels like. I've never faced that level of rejection. You know? We can pray, but they're like, I know that you're praying. I know that people are praying for me. And they find comfort in the church. Often they're taken in by people within the church. You know, loving one another. And we've got nothing to lose that actually matters. That's why suffering is considered a blessing. Because these guys, that I've, like these folks that we read about, when, when we've lost all our earthly things, we realise we can't lose the most important thing. Yeah, actually when we suffer, when we come up against facing losing the thing that we've prized the most, we realise we, we could lose that actually that's real when we die we won't take that with us but we realize then how priceless and precious jesus is that's why paul can say everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing jesus christ my lord for his sake i've discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that i could gain christ you know our suffering refines our faith it strips the other stuff away yeah, makes us really see, what do I have? I have Jesus. But can anyone tell? Can anyone tell that that's my prize? You know, if I, if I just live in fear, if I just hide away. And I think that the challenge here is to our courage. Are we courageous, church? I know for me, I, I don't always, I want, don't want to lose my comfort. I don't want to lose my reputation sometimes. I don't want to look like that silly woman who am I who's she coming I walked up to a stranger once in a library full of fear because God told me to <laughs> went into this library and I saw this lady and God said you need to talk to her today I went mm, no thanks <laughs> went off got my books went round a corner in the library literally bumped into her oh sorry sorry oh, God went to speak to her no thanks <laughs> And then I overheard her asking a question at the desk and God said, there's your in, go speak to her. And so I did. I was absolutely terrified. She's going to be like, who are you? But actually, God had prepared that situation. And she had been with her fiancé the night before talking about Jesus and asking questions. And because I was like, look, I know it sounds really strange, but um, I just thought, you know, maybe you wanted to have a chat. She's like, yeah. I really, really, I've been asking God to help me meet somebody. And literally, honestly, I've not told the story very well, but we went for a coffee next door outside the library and we chatted for ages. We then had, this was quite a long time ago, by the way, it's back in Leeds. Um, we then had dinner with this couple. And the long story is that they became Christians. They're going for God. They're part of a church in Leeds. Now, we didn't actually stay really well connected with them, but because I obeyed and was pushed by the Holy Spirit, because I knew that we'd been praying in our church group, in our life group, for these opportunities. We'd been praying for opportunities to tell more people of the amazing love of God that we had, that they needed. And he'd been preparing that couple the night before. They'd gone to a church to find out where they could get married, and they'd been talking about, do you know Jesus? They'd been prepared by God. He'd done a lot of the work already. Guys, we're together. He is at work. We need to tell people. We need to show. We need to show to the world that what we have is precious. We need to keep living it out. 
not be afraid. Let's live a worthy life. Let's join hands. Let's stand shoulder to shoulder. Let's bring this vital message of good news. No matter what opposition will come, let's trust that God has us and he has them. Okay? We sang just now. We choose to leave it all behind and turn our eyes towards the prize, the upward call of God in Christ. You have our hearts. Now take our lives. Do we, want, do we mean it, church? Should we do it, church? Let's encourage one another. If you haven't taken time recently to encourage somebody in their gift, to give thanks to them for how they're partnering with you, how they're inspiring you, I encourage you to do that. If you know right now, Holy Spirit, I just need a stronger sense of who I am in you, then I invite you this morning to take that moment with the Holy Spirit. Ask him to come and fill your life, stamp your heavenly status, your heavenly citizenship upon your life. If you'd honestly say, I'm just really actually struggling with where I feel a bit let down, a bit hurt maybe by the church, by people around me. It's been a struggle. I invite you to do business with God this morning, to stand with him, ask him to come and to heal you. Ask him to come and help you with that and so that you can get back in the race, that you can trust him, that he's working it out. He's the one who unites us. He's the one that changes us so that you can take your place to stand, to do our part, to play our part, that we would live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing together, that we'd be a sign, church, that we would be a light, we would shine like stars in this world, that we show heaven here now. We're going to be there for eternity. It's a very long time. Let's enjoy it. Let's start enjoying it now. Yeah, let's be that outpost of heaven for the world.